Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking sort of kind of about your 15 and 46 Detroit Pistons. The The All-Star break is over, the calendar is about to turn to March, and Ben is out, so I talked to Steve Peltier of the Res Ball Substack and Podcast about his big board and the top of the 2023 NBA Draft. Steve always brings a ton of information and thoughts that are just a little bit different than the consensus. So it was great to talk to him about Scoot Henderson, the Thompson Twins, and uh, Taylor Hendricks. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and I'm thinking very dearly of my co-host, Ben Gulker, today, who has COVID, and his wife has COVID, and his kids have COVID, and so the whole Gulker family is just, like, in pain right now. And so we are we are thinking of you, Ben. Thoughts and prayers to, to the family. But uh, stepping into Ben's chair for the week, we have Steve Peltier, old friend of Detroit Bad Boys, but currently has a new Substack, Resball, and a podcast along to go with it, the Resball Pod. He also does a little side work for Woodward Sports. Steve, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Yeah, same well wishes to Ben and the family. I hope you all can get better soon. Uh, just happy to be here. Hopefully I can fill in Ben's shoes. Oh, no, I'm I'm not worried about that at all. And But the reason I wanted to talk to you is because it is it is about that time to start doing 2023 NBA draft stuff. It's after the All-Star break. Um, the team is the last placed in the Eastern Conference. Charlotte won, and so now Charlotte's got like three games up on us or something ridiculous. And so, like, yeah, I think it's I think it's time to start looking towards what this team could look like uh, after they draft somebody at the top of this year's draft. Um, and the reason I like talking to you about it, Steve, is because you're always just like a little bit different. You're thinking a little bit differently than everybody else, and I know you're doing your research, and I know you're grinding tape. But you're all, it always comes out a little bit differently, right? Like sometimes that means like Johnny Davis is at four. And sometimes that means like Walker Kessler is a lottery pick for you. But it's always like interesting. So, so with that said, I wanted to talk to you about your first big board, which again, people can find on your Substack, Resball Pod or resball.substack.com. Uh, top two of the, of the big board is everybody else's one, two. It's Wimby and Scoot. Uh, is there anything different? that comes to mind about Wimby or Scoot that you want to mention during this time? Uh, not really, just that, you know, they're can't-miss prospects. There have been more and more talk of, like, trading the second pick if the Pistons get it. Honestly, I I don't want to say too much now, but in the future I'll definitely kind of entertain that through the Substack. Because, yeah, three guards, three years in a row is rough, but Scoot is just that level of awesome that you take him and you figure it out. Um, that would be the only thing that I would say among the top two. The Okay, I can see that. And the my only, like, Wimby is Wimby, right? Like, 
Yeah, there was that yeah. video of like the guy like backing him into the basket, but like that's why he doesn't want to play center. And like we are fine. We have enough bigs. He doesn't have to play center. With Scoot, uh, like Scoot just had 20 of 14 against the hustle the other like earlier this week. He looked fantastic. My only thing with Scoot is I get a little worried that the composition of the G League is built to play to his strengths and not necessarily to his weaknesses, right? There's not it's not a lot of rim protection in the G League. There's not a lot of perimeter defense in the G League. I think about how good a guy like Jalen Green looked uh, next going up to G League competition and how that's kind of like kind of borne out, but not really in Houston. And like maybe that's a developmental situation. But uh, Scoot has looked so good that it's not a huge concern. But I do wonder, like, you know, the first time Scoot encounters like Rudy Gobert or even like, you know, like Mitchell Robinson, right? Like G League doesn't have a lot of guys like that. It's like what what is his like solutioning process going to be? Does that does that give you any pause at all? Well, I think part of it is look at the track record of the guys that have come out of the Ignite so far. They're all pretty good. Even somebody like Kuminga, who's raw. Jalen Green might be the quote-unquote worst of the bunch, but I think that more has to do with him individually, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> Excuse me. The other thing is, if you look at this G League Ignite team right now, nobody can shoot. It's like Aubrey Dawkins, who's played in eight games, who shot 39% from three. John Jenkins. Shout I was going to say, yeah, they, they have John Jenkins, right? Like, yeah, that's he's all 43%. he does. He, that's the only guy shooting any good. He's shooting 43% from three on 8.9 attempts per game. Everybody else, everybody else, everybody else is like 33.9% or below. There are a lot of guys that are even in like 27.3. Leonard Miller's like 29.4. Cameron Young, London Johnson, Mojave King, all at like 28% or lower. So again, Scoot is operating with no space, which mm-hmm. again, votes well. And you look at those assist numbers, it's like, oh, he's not getting any assist padding from guys that are knocking down corner threes either. No, that's 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 totally fair. And I guess if he becomes a piston, he'll be very used to uh, lack of spacing lineups. That'll be, a, <laughs> that'll be beneficial. Oh for him. my gosh, yeah. uh, he's got probably better big men too. Immediately, <laughs> probably. All right. So the first surprise. I don't. I don't know if it's surprise, but like again, like you're always just a little bit different. The first thing a little bit different about your big board is that you have Osar Thompson at three over both his twin brother, Amen, and Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller is like right now, I think the, the consensus number three, but like, we'll, we'll see where that ends up being after everything. And I get, I kind of wanted to get into that, but first I want to talk about Osar. I've seen other people say like Osar might be the better Thompson twin, but it's hard to, it's hard for me at least to distinguish whether or not that's, he might be better for the Pistons or he might be better just like overall. So so in your mind, which one is it? Is it both? Does that matter? Where, where why Osar? I'd be willing to take the bet. It's both, but for the Pistons, it's clearly Osar over Amen. Amen, we do not know if he can shoot outside of like six to eight feet. We just don't. No mid-range jumper, not even like a corner three or anything. The form and everything on it is just bad. And his main thing is passing. As a point guard at 6'7", like 200. Asar, even though the percentages aren't that great, he just shot something like 5 for 9 in their semifinal game the other day, but he's willing to take them. And the form looks slightly better than Amin. Asar also has supplementary offensive skills. He has the Xavier Simpson hook shot that he'll bust out occasionally. Uh, Budding in the mid-range as well. 
and is a fantastic cutter. One of the best cutters in this draft. He always finds the open space. He does a lot of supplementary things on offense to complement somebody like Cade and Jaden Ivey, where you don't need the ball. And oh, by the way, both of these guys are high-level defenders. I think Asar is a little bit better because Amen, if he's the point guard, then you want him to guard point guards. And both Amen and Asar, they have to like get a little bit lower in their stance, focus on a little bit more fundamentals of bending and not standing too upright all all the time. Work on some like help side defense, team team offense and stuff. But as one on one defenders, both around six seven, two hundred, two hundred five, somewhere in there. I like Asar better because he will take those threes. He has worked a little bit more on it, it seems. And I always point to the preseason. The preseason for me is kind of what sold me a little bit more on Asar. He took more three-point attempts than Amin, but he hit zero. He hit zero of those three-point attempts. But the fact that he kept taking them is an indicator that he's like, this is the only way I can get better at it is under live fire. No, I I definitely buy that. And I think the... The other thing I have heard is that Asar is like a little bit better defensively and a little bit more of a connector. And like perhaps that is just because he is not playing with the ball in his hands as much as I'm in, right? If if he had the ball more, like maybe we'd see more out of him in that department. But yeah, I I wonder the only thing that makes gives me pause about this is like Amin is like pretty clearly a better athlete and the Pistons like if you like Jaden Ivey is is like a plus plus NBA athlete um like Jalen Duran is a plus NBA athlete like Marvin Bagley is like a pretty good athlete Hamadou Diallo obviously but when you when you look up and down the roster the Pistons don't really have like a wing sized guy that's also like that that has that level of athleticism right it's a lot of Isaiah Livers it's a lot of bogey it's a lot of like uh, like Burks is playing on the wing. Like they they just picked up R.J. Hampton, who's like a good athlete, but doesn't. I don't know how much he's able to like leverage that defensively. And so I I do kind of wonder if Asar is going to be able to be if he's going to be able to like reach the level of like individual point of attack defender that the Pistons need. If he's like a plus athlete instead of like a plus plus athlete like his brother, but I definitely understand like. You, if a man is like the point guard of the two, it's like the, it's the same thing kind of with Scoot, whereas like the Pistons don't need another point guard, right? They don't need another ball handler. They need a three and D wing. And it seems like Asar kind of fits that role a little bit better than his brother. Yeah. And they're both hard to comp like Asar. I think it's a little bit easier. I see him. Somebody as like an Andre Iguodala. If he works out, you know, if you remember uh, Iguodala in Philadelphia, he's kind of like the heir apparent to Iverson. Mm-hmm. was able to score in like the high teens points per games. The shot took a while to come around, but always leveraged his athleticism to get to the rack and get inside, draw fouls, and was a good passer. And that's another thing that's underrated about Asar. He's not the live dribble passer his brother is, but he still is averaging well in assists and you see him move the ball. Amen, yeah, is just more ball dominant. That's the main thing for me with with the Pistons. And I think neither of them really would be the point of attack defender. Amen, maybe only because again, if you're playing him at point guard, you are who you defend. Right. Mm -hmm. But even then you can still cover him up. Like you look at the bucks and the way they've constructed their roster. Now with Javon Carter, the reason they brought Javon Carter in is because they don't want to have to put true holiday on the point of attack all the time since he can do so many other things. And then that helps Chris Middleton even more. And it helps Giannis and Brooke. Like you can find another guy like that in my opinion. No, that's fair. That's fair. 
uh, like Chris Dunn just scored like 17 points last night, right? Like you can you can find more point of attack guys, but yeah, I, I definitely get your point. Um, you also have a man under Jarris Walker, right? Like Walker is a guy I I I want to like him, but it's like he just seems like a little too clunky right now for where the Pistons are at. Like he he seems more like a four five than a three four, and if he's playing the four five. Like he's in competition with Bagley for minutes. He's in competition with Stewart for minutes. You know, Hami is like playing four half the time. And like, yeah, Hami's an unrestricted free agent. And you don't want to like, you know, draft a top five guy with based on like what you're going to do with Hamadou Diallo. But like the Pistons already kind of have a log jam at the bigs. So it's hard for them to like squeeze in this guy who can, who I don't think can like end up playing the three. And so, like, if you're going to take Jairus Walker top five, like, is that because you think he can end up, like, on the wing? He can play, like, that kind of, like, 3-4 hybrid? Or is it just because, you know, of what he brings as uh, as, as an athlete, as a defender, as a rebounder, and, like, as, as, a, as a shot creator, like, but from, like, the four position? Yeah, this is why I have him at number six. He's just, like, right there on the top five. If I believed in him a little bit more in terms of his – offensive creation then yeah he's absolutely in the top five but i am somebody who believes that he might mainly be a small forward in the league he reminds me so much of og ananobi if you watch them back to back in their game field same way they're not like super fast but they know how to move laterally to defend multiple positions they can be in the dunker spot og ananobi has been asked to play the center position at times it's just tough for Jairus Walker because Houston, he's like their tallest player sometimes out there on the court. So when you're the tallest player, you're the de facto center, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they, they play with two guards who are under six foot two in, in Jamal Shedd and um, Marcus Sasser. They're quote unquote small four to six five and like 180, 190. So he's have to make up a lot of ground. That just speaks to how well of a defender he is at such a young age too, that he's the guy they're throwing out there for Switch defending, he has to make up the height that they don't have down low. He does have the strength. I'm not sure his wingspan, but he has some pretty impressive blocks. I also think he's more perimeter-oriented, both in his offensive and his defensive skill set. If you just watch a lot of Houston film, you will see him be deployed mainly from behind the three-point arc first. There's not a lot of him backing down. He'll occasionally Mm -hmm. do the short roll stuff. And the other fact of it is he's a great passer. And his senior year at IMG Academy, he averaged four assists um, as a senior, as a, the big man there. That's a lot for a, a big guy. And in four years in high school, he had 364 assists. So this is something that Houston doesn't allow him to do yet. But I think once he gets to the NBA, it can be that like bam at a bio jump. And he's getting better the more they give him touches. As I broke down in the Substack, there's a difference between his first 11 games and his last like 16 games where the first 11 games he's not even in double digit shot attempts he's only averaging like 9.4 points per game but then in the past 16 he's averaging 12.6 points per game and then 36.5 percent on an increased volume of three-point attempts to me this all screams like hey he can switch he's mainly deployed from the perimeter you know when you give him more touches he's still just as good maybe even better yeah this is somebody that can probably switch over a small forward as well that's fair and I think when you talk about the differences in production between like where he is now versus the start of the season, I think you're seeing that reflected like in like other people's big boards, other people's mock drafts. Like you are starting to see him rise 
Yeah, I think Wasserman just had him number four in a mock draft there to the Pistons. Yep, yep. And, and in a way that like reflects what what you're talking about. To me, like he looks. It's weird to me. He looks a little bit like uh, when you talk about like when I think about like four man who is like perimeter orientated can pass like a little bit and um but like hasn't necessarily been like asked to do that as much and and the way and like the the frame in the frame a little bit he reminds me of like julius randall but like in a good way right like the the good version of julius randall we're seeing like this season and two seasons ago not the one from last year um but again like when i think of when i think of that that kind of guy like he that is a really useful player and uh, perhaps there's a chance like Walker could end up being like a better defender than than Randall uh, has been like most of the time over the course of his career. But then again, like you run into the thing where it's like, where does that guy fit on the Pistons? Right. Yeah. Um, to me, too, Jairus Walker isn't that great of a center defender. I think that's more where his limitations show up is when he's bashed up on players that are bigger than him. Mm-hmm. or a little bit more leapier, like, you know, more explosive, your jumpy jump guys, as you say, <laughs> he struggles. And so to me, the more I watch him and see those struggles, I'm like, I don't want this guy playing center, but he holds up well on like point guards when they just throw him out there and say, Hey, go shut this guy down. So again, this screams to me more that you're a four and a three rather than a four and a five. Okay. Okay. All right, Steve, let's talk about Brandon Miller. Uh, Brandon Miller has been, in the news for not just his play, obviously uh, there's been uh, I can't even say like a legal case because he hasn't been charged, but um, the, like the, the thing he hasn't been charged with is bringing his teammates gun, which his teammate, like again, not Miller, but his teammate used then to like subsequently kill a young woman. Um, early reports like made it sound like Miller was like, handing the gun directly to the guy and like pointing and cackling. And later, you know, we got the statement from his lawyer. That's like, that's not really the case. Miller's been cooperative with the police. He's, uh, he's corroborated like the, he's corroborated text messages. He's like surrendered his phone. He's done all that. And then like, you get the statement from Nate Oates. That's like, he was in the wrong place at the right time. It's like, no, he kind of like, he put himself there on purpose. Like that. It's like, if anybody was there at the right, the wrong place at the wrong time, it was kind of the victim, Nate. And then uh, he's got, and then he goes out. He scores forty-one points against South Carolina. We're we're all kind of like, I'm I'm really hesitant to be like, oh, he overcame adversity because, like, again, this is something he caused himself. But uh, but that was a very impressive performance, like just from a basketball standpoint. And then we get the the celebration later this week, where like guys are like giving him a pat down in like the pregame. Like that's like that's a really terrible look, even for a nineteen-year-old. Um, and so, but like before this, before all this is like, he, again, he was not a lock for the third place, but like kind of the consensus number three guy in this year's draft. Um, how is the, how is the ongoing lack of judgment on Miller's part affected your ranking of him and how much should that impact, you know, where he goes in the draft in your mind? Well, for me, I'm not going to rank Brandon Miller anymore going forward. That's just my personal choice. Jamia Harris is dead as a result of a lot of senseless actions. There's a tweet pinned to my Resball account right now by Joseph Gooden of AL, Joseph Goodman, excuse me, of AL.com that profiled um, what the family of Jamia Harris thought after they heard NATO's stupid comments. So 
before you tweet anything or like say anything about Brandon Miller, go read that first because a young woman is dead because of a lot of senseless actions. Uh, how it will affect his draft stock. It has to affect his draft stock going forward. There is no way around it. Yes, legally, he is not charged with anything. Anything. I will try hard not to say too much because if you read a lot of these statements, a lot of them don't add up. But the fact was that we learned about all the facts, quote unquote, what, like a month or two after the team did. Mm-hmm. Um, and NATO would say anything like, yeah, we knew about this. And it's like, okay, so... You knew about it, but you didn't punish anybody. And then you knew about it, but you didn't say anything. Um, and then the statement with the lawyer, too, of like, yeah, he's been cooperative. It's like, okay, but you're backtracking now. You're doing cleanup work, right? My my whole thing about this is, is just taking responsibility for what you did. I'm not saying he handed it off or anything. Again, this is a legal matter that we would be resolved there. But we have yet to hear from the young man, right? It's also a difficult position for him because he cannot say anything legally if he says anything publicly then charges can be brought against him right a parallel situation to think about is new mexico state so i'm originally from albuquerque new mexico i went to the university of new mexico this year when they played the new mexico state aggies one of the players unfortunately was lured to someplace on campus where then he was fired upon and he had a gun and he retaliated and killed these people in self-defense or killed at least one i think that program got suspended not only for that incident, but for a couple of other things. Um, if you think back a couple years to Baylor under Dave Bliss, who was a former New Mexico coach, he covered up the murder of a player by somebody on his staff. Uh, I'm not saying that Brandon Miller's situation is parallel to this, but again, the NCAA's response to this seems to be nothing. Again, responsibility, right? And I, I just hate that the all of this has come out and people saying like, well, Brandon Miller is not responsible for his teammates' action. That's correct. Nate Owens isn't responsible for, you know, his players, one player's action. That's correct. But still to not acknowledge it and then somebody else uncover it and then say, no, 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 we took care of it, seems to be ducking responsibility. And again, Jamia Harris is the victim in all this. That's who should be getting the attention in the family, not some guy who scored 41 points in a basketball game. That guy that scored 41 basketball points in a basketball game did something that resulted in somebody else dead, whether or not he knew it. No, definitely. I I am I am really conflicted because I was not a I was not a big fan of like Brandon Miller, the basketball player, going into all of this. But like Brandon Miller, the human being, like the 19 year old, seemed like fine, right? The and what we've seen over the la- the course of like the last couple of weeks has been like really impressive from ben- Brandon Miller, the basketball player, but thrown like Brandon Miller, the person into like some real, real doubt and some real uh, not uh, unclarity. Uh, like it's opaque. So if the Pistons are as committed to the person over the player, as Troy Weaver has stated in the past, I don't see how they say i don't see how you reconcile uh like a statement like that and your stated values like that with drafting a guy like brandon miller at this point but i also understand that like this is a 19 year old kid who is uh, who has demonstrated uh poor judgment repeatedly but is also like 19 years old 
and not like he didn't actually kill anybody right so i i yeah it's hard too because like you say that and you sound like you feel like it's terrible to say that but it's the facts right yeah yeah i mean also this is just me speaking for me so if you're mad at me just you know the directors hate at me i'm not about that lifestyle but i grew up in albuquerque around a lot of gang violence and around a lot of people who like you know did shady stuff and if any of them were like yo you need to bring me the heat or like yo you need to bring me my gun my number one question would be dude i'm coming there but i'm not bringing you the strap like if you're about that life you know what's going to happen right like so to me again this is just me it's hard for me to buy into like he didn't know what he was going to do that's fair that's totally fair all right and then like that's like that's pretty much it on brandon miller right like it's it's do you want to draft a kid who's shown like poor judgment repeatedly like this because you because he's 19 and has the opportunity to turn his life around or not like that's 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 pretty much it. Where yeah, and I mean, they would, uh, any team that would want to would also have to look into like legally if anybody could bring any other kind of charges against him, or make sure everything is one hundred percent clean because you never know in a year or two something else could come up and then that's it. Yeah, I mean, like even like civil stuff, right? Like, do you do you want to bring in a player and then like have like you know midway th- in like you know December of his rookie year, like all of a sudden he's getting sued by the, the Harris family, right? Yep. Like, you you yeah, so definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about a little bit different. Keontae George. You have Keontae George at eight. I I love Keontae George. Like I love the way that Keontae George like plays basketball, attacks the game of basketball. But like e- even if the Pistons fall to the Pistons don't have the worst record. I think the farthest they could fall right now is seven or eight. But like even if they fall to seven or eight, like they can't they can't take Keontae right. Like they can't they can't use him unfortunately. I think they could. I think he is more, Keontae George is more like Eric Gordon than anybody else that I've seen. And I mean, he's playing the small forward position now. If you watch the Kansas games that they played, there is six foot eight Jalen Wilson being guarded by six foot four Keontae George, and he does a good job. He like walls him up in the post, he frustrates him. And then in the second game, they started the first half with six foot eight Grady Dick guarding six foot four Keontae George, and he cooks him, which makes them. Switch in the second half to Jalen, six foot eight Jalen Wilson guarding six foot four Keontae George. He's playing again, he's playing the small forward position in a lineup where there's LJ Cryer, who's six foot one at the one position, Adam Flagler, who's six foot three at the two guard spot, and then you have uh, Flo Thamba, who's six foot ten at the center position, and then Jalen Bridges, who's six foot seven, 220 at the power forward. And oh, by the way, they also play four guard lineups which six foot two Dale Bonner comes in and then guess where Keontae George is at that point. He's at the power forward position. (laughs) I think that's something to consider when you're looking at like all these numbers and like, I don't know, there's a lot of film where it's like, Oh, he's holding up pretty good on guys that are like way bigger than him. Yeah. But I, I mean, they're, they're putting bigger guys on him and he's holding up well on the other end. But like, I, I don't want Again, when I'm when I'm imagining like the Pistons team that is going to be in the future, like I don't want like to play three three guards under six four, or like three guards under six six, unless like one of them is Scoot. And even then, like we, we talked about, you know, perhaps trading somebody, trading the number two pick, trading Jaden Ivey, 
Like if you end up in that position, just because like it's so it's so difficult to defend at the NBA level with a with a lack of size. But yeah, man, like you, you see what he's doing on the basketball court, though, and you're like, I can't help but like respect what what he's able to accomplish with with everything that's being thrown at him, and he's just like delivering like this. Keontae George is so so much fun to watch, but. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think also, too, he's somebody you could draft and be like, hey, man, you're going to be the sixth man for the first year or two until we figure it out. And then you figure out, like, what to do between him and Jaden Ivey. Maybe they kind of, like, rotate in and out. Because Keontae George does um, answer and, like, fill one role that the Pistons desperately need, and that's a volume three-point shooter. Right now, Keontae George is shooting 35.6% on seven attempts per game. That three-point attempt rate comes out to... 54.2 you need somebody like that next to Cade you need somebody like that for the big men on this team those those are seven hard attempts per game right those are not all catch and shoot threes again being guarded by like six foot eight guys from Kansas that kind of stuff also the drop off from nine to ten in this draft is pretty big like I have Keontae and Nick Smith there at eight and nine like they're really good if you can get one of those guys, you just take them and figure it out. I love Jalen Huchavino, who I have at 10, or another guy that people have been talking up like a Jet Howard or like a Grady Dick in that spot. To me, the difference between Keontae, Nick Smith, and those guys is big. I would take Keontae, George, or Nick Smith and just figure it out. Okay, okay. So Jalen Huchavino at 10 is somebody I did want to ask you about. So like I personally like can't subject myself to Indiana basketball. Like I just don't want to watch that's the sparty talking through (laughs) but like i keep seeing this kid's name come up and i'm like so what's up what's up with jalen hood shifano it's like hey give me give me the give me the like 10 minute or the like the 10 second breakdown because i know nothing about this kid other than he's like six foot six 215 pounds he is a point guard passes like a point guard has that vision has that mid-range game that's what he came in with from montverde too so Cade's old uh, stomping the, the ground. Okay. Yep, you know those Montverde guys coming ready to play. Everybody kind of questioned his athleticism a little bit. They questioned his three-point shot, but he's come in and shot it well. Last night, they just downed Purdue and pretty much exposed Zach Eady. I think Jalen Hushapino kind of did that on his own, too. Um, and he dropped 35 points in that game. So, I mean, if you're downing Jalen Hushapino, I really don't know what else to tell you at this point. 13.6 points per game, 3.9 assists, shooting splits of 45% from two, 36.4 from three, and then 76.9% from that free throw line. I mean, Indiana's a two-man show, too. It's Huchifino and Trace Jackson Davis. Without them, I don't really know where they would be at, right? No, and the last part of the, the puzzle is he's a very good defender, both good in one-on-one situations and good as a team defender, I think he's more of a two-three in terms of who he guards. I don't know that he can guard like the top point guards in the mm-hmm. league, but he's just somebody that works. Everything screams like this is going to be like a fifteen-year player type of guy. Like Malcolm Brogdon would be a comp, I think that would fit him well. Okay, okay. Is he? It was like, is he rising up draft boards because other guys aren't performing, or like you get like your Nick Smiths and your Anthony Blacks who have been like kind of injured. Or like, is he rising up draft boards like on the on the strength of his own play? Because like that that was my thing is like when I when I see a guy just like kind of come out of nowhere like this is like oh like it's because like you know nobody is in love with Anthony Black anymore, right? 
No, I think he's mainly because of his play. I mean, he's jumping guys like a Jet Howard, like uh, Grady Dick. Although there are, there are people back and forth. Anthony Black is a good one. Even somebody like Kaysen Wallace, I think he's him and Jalen Hutchifino are like kind of neck and neck there. And it's easy for somebody like Jalen Hutchifino to jump up the board because of the size, right? Mm-hmm. That's something he has over a Kaysen Wallace. Okay. Okay. The the next guy I wanted to ask you about was Taylor Hendricks at 13. I feel like Taylor Hendricks is a guy I should know more about. Um, like in just like just looking at the board and like looking at like a, a very like light amount of film. It's like he seems like he would be a really good fit on this Pistons team, but he plays at UCF. Like I had literally never heard of him before like a month and a half ago. And so I was like, I'm I'm a little bit dubious about this guy that's like gonna, I don't know, patch everything up for for the Pistons, but uh, but I but I didn't know about before. So like, and and he's risen, right? He's risen up the boards over like the last month or so. And so, what what can you tell me about Taylor Hendricks? Why is he worth a lottery pick at this point? Yeah, I don't want to pat my own back too much, but I've had him in the lottery pretty much all year. Six foot nine, two fifteen, forty percent three point shooter on four point six attempts per game, blocking one point seven. Shots per game as well. I mean, this is your Jeremy Grant replacement. Has the same type of profile where Grant didn't do much the first couple of years in his league. He was more in that like four spot. Mm-hmm. Hendricks is like that as a good defender who can guard both three and four. But, oh, guess what? He's also a 40% three-point shooter. Uh, ball handling and stuff will probably have to come along. But I think immediately you could plug him in and be like, he can guard small forwards. He can shoot 40% from three. He's six foot nine. I've heard six foot ten, too. I don't know. And that hasn't been confirmed. 215 figure out the rest no that's totally that's totally fair and again like the pitch of the the six and eight six nine guy who shoots 40 percent from three and can defend like yeah that guy's probably an nba player yeah and he's also another guy that like they they play with a seven footer there i think uh they they play with another guy there who's seven foot i want to say it's michael durr but i might be confusing him with another team. No, that's Michael Durr, but he doesn't play quite as many minutes as everybody else. He's kind of more like the sixth man, even though he starts a lot of times, mm-hmm. more like the seventh man. And Hendricks, a lot of times, this is the tallest player out there on the floor. So again, he's playing this like weird de facto center role that when he comes to the NBA and he's playing his actual position, it's probably going to look a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, this this is a guy like Hood Shafino is like oh that like that's kind of interesting, but like Hendricks is like a guy where I'm like I like I need to like look up this guy. Like I feel like this is a guy who's like if you end up at like you end up at like seven, and it's like this this is a guy who like might just might just be the pick if once you once you get in that like range. Um, yeah, uh, yeah the, I always do a list of like guys who you should get an extra first round pick for, and he might be top of that list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's similar to. I feel very similar to him as I felt about like Jalen Duran last year, where it's like, it's like, okay, we're picking fifth. It's like, I, I was like, I wouldn't take Jalen Duran fifth, but like, if you got like 14, like I would absolutely do it. And like, that's basically when, what ended up happening. So. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I feel similar to Taylor Hendricks, how I felt about Trey Murphy back in, in Kate's round. Oh, Cause I, I tried to argue so, so much like they need him. They need an extra round pick for him, but Hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah. What are you gonna do? The last guy I wanted to ask you about actually was Grady, or not the not the last guy, but Grady Dick is a guy I've been really intrigued by, just because like, it's like you have Grady Dick at fifteen. I don't think, as like I think that's fine. I think that's like probably like about right, but like I don't think there are fifteen guys in this draft that are going to have like a better NBA career than Grady Dick. But I also don't think the Pistons can take him because like, as as a 
Boyan clone, like you already have Boyan, like you need supplemental or like ancillary pieces next to Boyan, not like another Boyan. But I'm, but like, I'm really intrigued by the package, right? Like Boyan's a really good NBA player. Um, Grady Dick looks like a really good college player. You love the shot. You love the ball handling. You love the the competitiveness on defense, even as he's like not the greatest athlete in the world, which is like, I know like the stereotypical of the white guy, but like you, you like the way he defends even without, uh, without that. But yeah, I, it's like, I, I like Grady Dick a lot. I, I like him way more than I expected to. when I just like first got the, uh, the, the pitch for him where, so do you agree with my assessment that like Grady Dick is going to be like a, a long time NBA player and maybe that should like put him like a little bit higher than like some of these other guys? I really grade defense a lot more in my evaluation. So Grady Dick is one that's hard for me. I I have him locked in at 15 just because I can't see him getting any lower than that. But the guys in front of him like Jalen Hutchvino, Anthony Black, Cason Wallace, Taylor Hendricks and Chris Murray right in front of him, like they have clear defensive skill that can say, okay, you can put them in day one and they're going to struggle like any rookie, but they have a clear role. Whereas Grady Dick's below average athleticism, he's not a bad athlete, but it still shows up from time to time. Like that Keontae George game I just said, where it's like Mm -hmm. he can't guard him. So they have to switch Jalen Wilson on him. That's worrisome. When you can't lock down a six foot four, 185 pound guy and Keontae George isn't like Amen Thompson level athleticism or anything. Um, so those are things that in one on one man to man defensive situations, I have big questions about Grady Dick holding up. Maybe it doesn't end up mattering, but everything on offense I buy into. So Grady Dick for me is like the demarcation line too of like, okay, these guys I think are gonna work out really well. And anybody below Grady Dick, I have like I am less certain on. No, that's totally fair. And I think, I think along those, I think along a similar line where it's just like, I have a lot more questions about anybody I'm going to take after Grady Dick. Yeah. And also I I think he would be my pick for the best shooter in the draft. I know Brendan Miller's done a great job, but I, I don't know. I just see the attempts, the type of attempts off the dribble, off the catch, off of movement and just seeing him since high school. Like I think Grady Dick would be my pick for like, if you had to pick who's the best shooter in the draft, it would be him. Yeah, yeah, he the the fluidity, the the mechanics look identical every single time. Like it, his shot is his shot is beautiful. Um all right, Steve, now we've come to the part where the Pistons have currently right now they would have the 33rd pick in this year's draft. I don't know anything about who they might take or might need at at, at 33. It's like and I don't even know if there's anybody good in in the like late in that like early 30s range so i two-part question can the pistons get someone who can be like a back-end rotation player at 33 and if so like who were some of those guys to look out for well yes they can in every draft there's always somebody in like the late first round early 30s that ends up being a really good rotation piece so yeah for sure these two guys, first I'll list, they might not make it that far, but Ray and Rupert from the New Zealand Breakers, he's probably going to end up being a lottery pick, but you never know. Um, six foot six has reportedly a seven foot three, seven foot four wingspan. That's what you need on the wing, right? Yeah, that sounds Jordan, like a see Thunder. Yeah, Jordan Walsh out of Arkansas hasn't shot it well, but if you look at his freshman numbers compared to somebody like Mikhail Bridges, very similar. Very similar profile too, which is why I bring them up. Like six foot seven, two oh nine. He might be the top trash talker in this in this <laughs> uh, draft too. Just go look up his high school stats. Like that dude never shuts up. So he'd be the nice. I keep saying that this team needs a, a sheed. He is definitely a sheed, and you would love to have that guy. 
on your team and not have anybody uh, not face him, you know, every single day in, in practice, in practice yeah. help out. Julian Phillips is another guy out of Tennessee has shot it terribly. I saw him here at Arizona. He was uh, a ghost. So it's kind of made it hard for me to evaluate him, but it gets to the free throw line a ton and is a fantastic defender at six foot eight uh, on the wing. And I mean, wing defense is something this team just needs to invest in so much. Hopefully this shot can come around, but he's somebody worth the gamble. Tristan Da Silva, six foot eight forward out of Colorado. He's somebody I really like, a good three-point shooter, another good defender, another good investment in terms of three and D guy. Pretty, pretty um physical as well. And then Reese Beekman out of Virginia, point of attack defender. The scoring you worry about, but I mean Virginia guys aren't known for having like mm-hmm. advanced offensive packages or being explosive. So I'm sure he'll come in. And and the track record of Virginia guys is pretty good uh, coming in the league. Tyler Burton out of Richmond, another forward. Shooting it terribly this year, but that Richmond team really is not good. He's having to do a lot of heavy lifting. Good athlete on the wing, about 6'6", 6'7", 200, 210, somewhere in there. And then the last one I would highlight is Jalen Clark out of UCLA. He'd be the last one. He's a really good defender. He's one of the best, but six foot five, like 195, 200. He might be a little bit undersized for what this team needs because they really want somebody that can defend the small forward position. But again, he's somebody I would not bet against. I currently have him at 32. You could talk me into the first round if you really wanted to, but man, that guy defends the minute he gets out of bed. Yeah. See, this is why I like talking to you, Steve, because like I ask, like, it's like, I don't know, like, can I get like eight names? And you're like, yeah, no problem. Boom, 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 boom. It's like these are the dudes. So th- like this is this is great. So th- the last question that I wanted to ask you before you got out of here, um, is like we we didn't talk about this, but like we've we've thought about similar lines about the the James Wiseman acquisition. You had a really uh, interesting piece about the James Wiseman acquisition, like on your Substack. I encourage people to check that out. I'm not just saying that because you agreed with me, but like it, it, you agreed with me, but like made me think about things in a, in a different way as well. Um, but it, I would be remiss if I like didn't talk about James Wiseman's play, like on the podcast at all. And so like, what have, what have you thought about what Wiseman has offered the team in like the three games he's been in the rotation so far? Well, number one, he's gotten on the boards, which is one of my big beefs with him. That's the main thing that I'm looking at is just get physical, man, because he looked like mm-hmm. he did not want to handle contact whatsoever up until this point. Had 10 rebounds in the last game um, so against Toronto, so that's that's a good sign. Defensively, it's going to be a long time, a work in progress. Again, he's played less minutes than Jalen Duran has in three years. He's played less minutes than Jalen Duran has played this year offensively he just has to figure out what his go-to skill is and really i'm like i'm rooting for him but it's hard to pass judgment because of how little he's he's played and really Mm -hmm. looking to see by the end of the season what do those numbers look like how does he look on defense to really know because yeah it's pretty soon that that the the decision has to be made what do we do with this guy are we going to pay him what's going on yeah yeah i will say like he's been not as bad on defense as I thought he would be, but my expectations for him were like in the gutter. So like, I don't know if that's damning with faint praise. I don't know if my expectations were just like far, far, far too low, but by being as tall as he is and willing to throw his body around, like he's, he's making contests on shots. Um, He's making people think around the rim. And like there, there is absolutely something to that. 
the finer points of defensive technique still elude him, right? He's still like not quite there in center field playing drop in uh, or in drop coverage. Um, there, there was it's like the Boston Celtics are going to do this to everybody, but like you could see they would run like some stack pick and rolls for Tatum, and like somehow Wiseman would end up on Tatum. He's like, okay, like that, that's not good. Like we, we know, <laughs> we know where that's going to be. Um, but yeah, but like you said, like you mentioned, he's he's been. Uh, he's been an improvement on the glass over like, you know, the the guys who were playing uh, before with the injuries. And then it's been interesting to watch how he and like, especially now that Bagley is back, like he and Bagley operate from very similar areas of the court offensively. And because and it's weird because they're both left handed. Right. So they yeah. both want to go like, you know, right block to attack left. But yeah. Uh, so that 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 makes me like really really hesitant to play them together in a way that I thought they might try when all four bigs are healthy, but all four bigs all four bigs being healthy might not happen until next season at this point. Um, so I yeah, Wiseman has been not as bad as I thought he would be, but if you listen to the last podcast, you knew I was pretty low on him. So I don't know like I don't know what to actually tell you. Yeah, I mean, like I, I said uh, in the Substack, and I did a podcast with Data Driven Piston fan uh, a little bit about this, but more about like the state of the Pistons yeah. right now. 2001 draft, Kwame Brown goes number one, Tyson Chandler goes number two. These are both guys that initially struggled in the NBA. One went on to be great defensive player of the year, Tyson Chandler, won a title in Dallas. The other, Kwame Brown, still played uh, 12 years in the NBA, played with Kobe Bryant, played for a bunch of different teams. I'm also with Jalen Rose in that if you call Kwame Brown a bust, you're an idiot. So, I mean, this is where Wiseman could potentially end up. And both guys, you look at their number, career numbers and it's like, eh, whatever. But this is just something I would like implore him to study too, is just, you know, look at these guys and see what it is that they turned around and how they did little things. Like Kwame Brown was a great screen setter, right? That's really what kept him employed for so, so, so long. And then Tyson Chandler worked out how to be a good uh, rim protector. Didn't really defend in space or anything else. And that's really what made him a great NBA player. Yeah. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. On relatively short notice, I I appreciate that as well. But I've I've been meaning to have you on the pod for draft season anyway. And it's just... Hey, man, I'm always ready. Draft season never ends for me, so... There, that, there you go. Exactly. Let the people know where they can find you again, like shout out the Substack again, let them know where they can find you on Twitter, anywhere else, anything else you're working on that you want people to pay attention to. Yeah. G- give the people what they want. So yeah, you can find the, the podcast Resball. I uh, at Twitter. It's Resball pod. You can find Resball. Just search it. Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, where you can get your podcasts. And then the Substack is resball.substack.com. I'll be updating my big board every single month. The next time I just dropped the 2.0 big board, the next time I'll update it is in between conference tournament and the big dance. So look out for that. All right. Thank you. Thank you again so much, Steve. That's R-E-Z ball. That's how you spell res, res ball, R-E-Z ball. And of course, I'm Lazarus Jackson. You can follow me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. I'm going to be doing my research so I can catch up to Steve on uh, on my big board, which will be dropping somewhere towards the end of the season like usual. But yeah, I, I really appreciate having you on, having you available as a guy I can bounce draft stuff off of and just a guy who's able to inform me about some of these guys like later in the draft that I just like don't have the time and like, experience to to properly evaluate. Word, so anytime, everyone, man. I always enjoy being on DBB's pod. So anytime you want me, I'm here. 
No problem, man. Everyone should follow Steve. Everyone should uh, subscribe to Res Ball. Uh, it's a great substack. It's a great resource. Really appreciate having you on. Um, we will be back next week with Ben, hopefully. Um, I appreciate everyone listening. Thank you all for, for staying with us. We got some good news on the SB Nation box front. So we will actually be here next week, which is good. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you all in the future. Appreciate it.